Uh, today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. And uh, uh, it's uh, in the latter part of the Old Testament. I think it's page 796 in my Bible, if that helps you at all. Uh, if you need to go to the front flap and see where it's at, no worries. I have to do that from time to time myself. And I have a degree in theology, so I'm just being honest. Um, but Daniel chapter 2, we're talking about seasonal change. And life is all about change, if you haven't learned that by now. Life is all about change. Life is basically a series or a progression of change. And here's the funny thing about change. Even if you have a high threshold of change like myself, nobody really likes change. The only change you and I like are changes that we initiate. If we want to change something because it's to our benefit, or if we want to change something because of that, that's about the only change that we like. But most of us don't like change. And, and that's kind of human nature. We, we like control. Uh, we talked about that last weekend. We, 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 we like a certain sense of security and normalcy in our life. Um, but just as the seasons physically change in our world, from summer to fall to spring to winter, as those, che- as those seasons come and they, they go, and right now in Wisconsin we're in this beautiful time. I was up north earlier this week for a day, and I had to go. I was up, up doing some stuff, and, and man, the foliage was like just peak. Last weekend and this weekend, this is kind of it, as this cold front's coming through, and the wind's going to come, and the rain's going to come, and here in southeastern Wisconsin, it, it's very much uh, coming into the peak this week and the next weekend, and, and it's beautiful, but those changing of the leaves of the trees tell us that things are changing, that fall is leaving us, and that winter will soon be here. And in a matter of weeks, those trees that are, are, are just filled full of beautiful color will be barren and will, and will be ready for a season of, of winter. And so is in our life uh, that, that, that we see, just as we see the, se- the change of the seasons here, so is true in our own life as we begin to notice that change is a thing that pre- Basically, it's a precursor to a, se- to, to, to a new season. That when change comes into your life, you know that there's a new season that's coming. When, when things begin to get shaken up in your life, you know that there's a new season that's coming. Change is what introduces every new season. And why is it, though, that, that these transitions, these seasonal transitions of life seem to be so difficult? Why is it that storms of life tend to happen in these times? When we're shifting from one season to another season, even if it's into a good season, there's just this change. There's just this, there's just this issue. And the reality, the reason why it's difficult to transition and the reason why the storms seem to occur during the transition of seasons is because of change. This thing about change, we just do not like it. It is not hardwired into our nature. We like a rhythm. We like a consistency. We like control. We don't like to be outside of control. And, and so that's really what I want to talk to you today about, is how do you deal with seasonal change? How do you deal with change in your life? Because we're all going to deal with it. And you can stick your head in the proverbial sand like an ostrich and act like it doesn't exist, but the reality is it does. The reality is, is how you deal with change, how you cope with change, how you ride the wave of, wave of change is really going to determine how successful or effective you're going to be or you're, or you're not going to be. Now, I want to kind of go back to a passage. You don't have to turn there, but go back to a passage that we read last weekend, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, when Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, writes these words, For everything there is a season and a time, and every activity under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. There's a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. For God has made everything beautiful in its own time. Daniel addresses, though, the cause and the effects of these seasonal changes. 
he addresses the issue of, of we see to die and to, and to be born and to, and to grieve and to, and, and to, and to laugh and, 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 and to dance and to mourn. We, we see these contrasts, but, but what's happening between these two contrasts? Change. What's happening between these seasons? Change. What's happening between a time to tear down and a time to build up? Change. And Daniel addresses this issue of change, and he tells it for what it is. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 through 22, he says this. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Look at verse 21. And he, God, changes the times and the seasons. He, God, removes the kings and raises up kings. He, God, gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Verse 22. For he, God, reveals deep and secret things. Not only does he know deep and secret things, he reveals them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. For he, God, knows what is in the darkness, which is what we're all scared of, even if we're 41, or almost 42, that's me, and the light that dwells within him. Now, I want you to understand something behind the, 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 the context of this passage. I think it's important when you, when you look at a message, I think it's important as a communicator, when you preach or teach from a message, that you give context. You need to want to know what's happening before these verses. You know what's happening after these verses. And the context behind what Daniel is saying is incredibly powerful because it gives him moral authority to speak to the issue of seasonal change. I don't like talking to people who have never done anything. I don't like talking to people who are theorists. I want to talk to practitioners. I want to talk to people that have been in the trenches. You know, if you wanted me, if you want to know everything that I, if you wanted to know what I thought about everything in life, don't ask me at 41, almost 42. You should ask me at 21. At 21, I could have given you all the answers to the world, right? That's true of most of us. You should have asked me what I thought about parenting before I had two kids. Because when I was a youth pastor with just a dog, I could tell you how to raise your kids perfectly and what all you were doing wrong. But when I'm in the trenches, it's a whole different story. I don't talk a whole lot about parenting these days, right? You know, because you practice what you preach. That's kind of the rule of thumb. So, whoa, so be careful. So when a pastor says, I really don't want to talk about this, it's because he doesn't want to have to live it. And, and that's the reality. Daniel is basically this young Israelite, young man, probably anywhere between 15 to 17 years of age. He is poised at the top of his academic game. And he has been slotted to as, as, as the top one percenter in, of his class. And which means that he's going to have natural-born leadership gifts and abilities that his schooling, his education, his background, the nation of Israel has groomed him, probably to be prime minister. Um, but it, at this age of 15, 16, 17, something happens. A seasonal change happens in his life that will never reverse back. And that is the nation of Israel becomes besieged, in Daniel chapter 1 it tells us this, by the nation of Babylon. Babylon was the most powerful nation of its day at that time. And God allows Babylon to overtake Israel, and Israel then becomes enslaved to Babylon. And there becomes this relationship where now all the Israelites are enslaved to the nation and they're in slavery to the nation of Babylon. And the reality is, is all of, of Daniel's hopes and dreams are gone. All of his aspirations of, of this high leadership life in Israel are gone. Everything that he's hoped for, everything he's dreamt about, everything that he's been groomed for, every piece of trajectory in his life has come to a screeching halt. He had no control. He didn't ask for it. Here's what begins to happen. 
And Daniel is, is put into a position to where he is in seasonal change. And, and with this seasonal change, he, if you read to the end of the book, Israel never leaves captivity the entire, his entire life. He will never ascend to the heights that he aspired to in his youth. But he deals with change in a remarkable, remarkable way. He deals with the hostility of his culture and the political climate in a remarkable way. He deals with the changing of the markets. He deals with angry bosses. He deals with upset situations. He deals with, the, with, with issues of moral authority on an ongoing basis in a way that, quite frankly, if you work in a workaday week, Monday through Friday, and you don't work in the church as I do, you probably can more identify with Daniel than anybody. Because Daniel has to navigate all of this changing terrain of the world in which he lives in under these pagan rulers and leaders. Uh, Daniel will serve under three regimes, two of which being Babylonian, the last of one being the Medes, uh, uh, because uh, we know Western Civilization 101 says that the great city of Babylon was invaded by the Medes and the Persians through the aqueducts in the city, and they came in and they took over. And it was under King Darius that, that Daniel will finally end his, his, I mean, his life will basically expire under, under, under that regime of, of the Medes and the Persians. But Daniel's 17, he's 18, he's brand new in this. He's already encountered one situation where basically they took the elite of the nation of Israel, the top 1%, if you would, and they brought them in and they, they decided that they would use them. The rest of them they would oppressively uh, 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 push down against and make them slaves. But these top 1%, they, they, would, they would utilize their gift sets, their wisdom, and so forth and so on. In chapter 2, where we're reading, where Daniel's beginning to speak about this, uh, the King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, has this dream that disturbs him. Now, what you need to know about Nebuchadnezzar is he's completely narcissistic. He is completely out of his mind, probably a classic case of bipolar, maybe almost schizophrenic. He absolutely loses his ever-loving mind, literally, in a few chapters into the book, and actually goes and, and lives for seven years like a, like, like a wild beast, eating in the field and letting his hair grow, fingernails. Work. I mean, just crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. So this guy is, and he's leading the nation. He has power to do whatever he wants to do. So he, he's one bad guy. And he has this crazy dream, which is probably just a mix of bad Mexican mixed with bad Chinese that he had the night before. But it disturbs him to the point that he brings in all of his sorcerers and magicians to be able to interpret the dream. Now understand, there's only two powers on this planet. There's God and there's Satan. We like, we like to live in the gray. We like to think that, no, 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 there's two powers. Make, make no doubt about it. Ephesians chapter 6 says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness, everything that exalts itself for the name and the power of the glory of God. There's God and his armies of angels, and there's Satan. Now, God is way above. This isn't like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. These are not opposites. You understand that? There's not some lightsaber fight in the heavenlies where, Luke, I am your father, will be defeated. Okay? God is God. But in his infinite wisdom, he allows Satan to be where he is and do what he is. But there is a power. So you're either, when you're looking at supernatural power, you're either appealing to God of the heavens, Jehovah, or, or Satan. And so, Neb, and so Nebuchadnezzar brings in his magicians, not musicians, they're not, they're not evil, and his magicians and the sorcerers and the wizards and, and, and all of these, which are demonic, uh, satanic power, and he's imploring of them to, to be able to answer these questions. They can't. Then he turns against these one percenters, these, this, this nation of Israel, and he says, if there's not one from them or from you, 
from Jehovah God or from Satan, in essence. If no one can answer my prayers, I'm going to kill all of you. Now, you want to talk about a work deadline? You want to talk about work pressure? And this guy will do it. He's already proven how, how, how horrific he is. And it's in this moment that, God, that Daniel gets on his knees before God. I'm telling you, Daniel's a fascinating character to me. He's a fascinating individual. And he begins to cry out to God. And God gives Daniel the revelation of the dream. God gives Daniel the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel's able to go to Nebuchadnezzar and reveal the dream. And in doing so, it promotes Daniel to the top of the line. It promotes Daniel. Because when you work, walk in favor with God, even when it's diametrically opposed to the world in which we live in, even if your boss is a narcissistic, self-fulfilled, bipolar, schizophrenic, Satan worshiper, God's still God and he's still on the throne. And he will put you in places. I love what David says. If I send to the heavens, God, you are there. And if I make my bed in hell, you are there. I can't escape your presence. And God gives Daniel exactly what he needs. And Daniel declares the words that we just read in chapter 2, verses 20, 21, and 22. And here's what he says. And this is what's applicable to us. And it was seasonal change. That God is the source of seasonal change. That when seasons change, God's the source. He's the cause. That nothing changes in this world. The seasons are the times. They don't change unless God allows them to change. God doesn't allow someone in political office unless he allows it. God doesn't allow a king to, to be put into place unless he allows it. God is the source. God is the cause. God is infinitely in control of all seasonal change. Now here's a young man whose dreams have been dashed and everything he's worked for has come to an end and he's 17 years of age. And he declares, God, you are God. You are the one who changes the seasons and the times. The question here is acceptance. Do you accept that God's the source of all change? Even if it's not good change in your life like it was in Daniel's case. Even if it's horrible change sometimes, even if it's unjustified, unmerited change, do you come to the end of yourself and go, God, you're in control. You're the source of all change. You are in control. This will set some of you free because you are white knuckling through your way through life, trying to make your way, trying to spin your wheels and make your deals. And you've got to come to the end of you and realize that you're not the source of your change. Some of you, you think that the political system in the world is the source of change. Some of you conspiracy theorists think that there's people that are pulling strings behind that they're changing things. Or there's some superpower in the world that's changing things. Or there's something beyond us that's changing things. Yes, there is. His name is God, Jehovah. He's the great I am. When he told Moses, I am. You, when you go to Pharaoh, tell him that I am sent you. I am means whatever you need me to be, that's what I am. You need me to be a healer, I'm a healer. You need me to be a deliverer, I'm a deliverer. I'm about to preach up in here. You need me to be a savior, I'm a savior. You need me to be a provider, I'm a provider. You need me to be a father to the fatherless or a husband to the widow, I am. See, that's the God that we serve. And Daniel understood, even though I'm in the captivity of these horrific Babylonians, I will never see the fruit of the desire of my heart in the way that I thought it would come about. I trust, God, that you are the source of all change, of the changing of the seasons of the times. Second thing, God is in control of seasonal change. He doesn't just start it and initiate it. He doesn't just put it into, into motion. This isn't inertia. He basically controls the seasonal change. Verse 21 says, he removes kings and he raises up kings. That's a powerful statement. 
I see so many people running around life, even Christians. Oh, I'm worried about the political administration of the day. What are they going to do and what's going to happen? My Bible says that God removes kings and raises up kings. He removes presidents and raises up presidents. He removes CEOs and raises up CEOs. He removes world powers and raises up world powers. He removes and he brings up. He is in control. And the question is, do you trust him? If you really believe that he's a source of seasonal change, if you really believe that he is in control, then the question is, do you trust him? Because if you trust him, you'll live life completely different. And you'll realize that you have very little control. You'll realize that there's very little that you can do. That basically just you need to navigate your own life. And many times we go, well, I do trust God with his future and his plan, but I don't necessarily trust his timing. His seasonal changes in my life. And to that I would say what Ecclesiastes 7 says, verse 13 and 14. Accept the way that God does things. For who can straighten out what he has made crooked? And enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both prosperity and hard times come from God. Remember Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to what? Your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge God, and he will make your path straight. Do you really believe that he's in control? I'm telling you, just to be honest with you, if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing for a living. If I didn't, I wouldn't be standing up here. Trust me, there's easier ways to make a living than doing this. I tell every, every, every person that comes to me that says, I feel called into vocational ministry, I look at them and say, if there's anything else you can do in your life and be happy, go do it. This is the last thing you want to do with your life. And if you can't do anything else in your life and be happy but this, then welcome to the club. Because in this world, you will have trials and you will have tribulations. You'll be misquoted, misunderstood, misinterpreted. Miss will be in front of everything in your world. (laughs) It's because I realize that God's in control and I'm not. It's realized that I've got desires and I've got aspirations just like everybody else in this room, but I just trust in him and in his timing. I really believe this. You have what you have because that's what you can handle. We all think we can handle more than what we have. We, we're like a little Chevy Love pickup truck wanting to think that we can pull an 18-wheeler rig. I mean, we just can't sometimes. It's our payload capacity isn't that. God's in control, and I have to trust that. And Daniel is living in this horrible situation where life and death is on the line. And he trusts God and says, God, you're the one that raises us up and you're the one that brings them down. You're the one that allowed Israel to be, under, to be besieged by Babylon and you're the one that has, has allowed Nebuchadnezzar to be in control. And for that, I trust in you. And the last thing that he says in verse 21 and 22, I'm going to camp out just for a couple of minutes is that God gives wisdom and understanding during seasonal changes. God gives wisdom and he gives understanding during seasonal changes. It says that not only does he know what's in the darkness, but he reveals it. Not only does he know what's in the light, but he reveals it. How does God give wisdom? Well, Proverbs says that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
Now, let me, under, let me help you understand what liberally means. I like to eat. I've, I've been this way all my life. When I was a baby, I ate nine jars of baby food a day. Just saying. <sighs> I learned this lesson early on. First grade, Sunny Mead Elementary. My bowl hair cut that my mother cut for me. Cut my hair this year twice and this year once. I, after that, I was done. I went to a barber after that. I had my little tray. I always got two milks, chocolate milk, right? It's the best. I get the little two milks right there. Sometimes I mix up and do a vanilla and chocolate, but, but I just, so I would do that. I got my two, two milks. And I love days like chicken fried steak day. Now, I know you don't really enjoy chicken fried steak up here, but I'm from the South and everything is fried. We would fry the silverware if we could figure out how to do it, <laughs> if it was edible. So we fry everything. Meat, grease, and a little bit of sugar. That's the secret to Southern cooking. And so, or a lot of sugar, should I say. So I would get in that line. And the lady behind, on the other side with the hairnet, the SAS support hose and the apron, that's the lady that I made friends with day one. <laughs> I'm telling you, forget the principal, forget everybody else. That woman controls the mashed potatoes and the rolls and the cinnamon rolls. Can I get a witness? And she and I became BFFs right early on. And here's what I realized. If that lady liked me, she was going to give to me liberally. If she didn't like me, my little husky self, I wore huskies all the way through. I'm just telling you. I know that's a surprise to you. Levi Toughnuts. I'm just telling you. That's what I wore. I'm, no joke. And so Sears. Sears and Roebuck. That's where we went. Okay, so, uh, so the reality is, is I would go and I would just sweet talk this woman. I don't know. My, these baby brown eyes and I just look at her, my little bowl haircut. And how are you today? Are you having a good day? Man, that smells good. Did you make that? I love having lunch at Sunny Mead Elementary. And by the time I got down to the mashed potatoes, I'd say, could I have a little extra? She'd give me a little extra scoop. Sure you can, honey. Could I have a little extra gravy on that? Yes, ma'am. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And how about an extra roll? Would that be too much? Maybe too much. No, thank you. <laughs> and my little chunky cheek self and my husky pants, I would go off to the table and I would eat like a king. Because she gave to me liberally. That's what God says he'll do for you when it comes to wisdom. That's a great picture, isn't it? Are you hungry yet? <laughs> he'll give to you liberally. All you have to do is ask. See, God's never off-put by our questions. He's never off-put by, God, I don't understand what's going on. Lord, what's happening right now? God, I'm in a really tough situation right now. God, I, I don't understand this. God, I, I have questions. He's never off-put by that. He says, if you'll just ask me, I'll tell you. If you want wisdom, I'll reveal it to you. If you want understanding, I'll give you that. Now, there's times that we can't handle the truth. And there's times that God allows that to kind of be doled out easily upon us. And other times it feels like it's a deluge. But the reality is, is that God will give you wisdom and understanding during seasonal changes. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God will allow everything to work together for our good. The bad in life, the upsets in life, the disappointments in life, the failures in life, our mistakes in life, he will redeem, he will make them work together for our good if we will but love him. That's it. 
If we'll just follow him, if we'll just come to the end of ourselves, if we'll just realize that God is in control and that he is controlling what's going on and that he is God and that we are not and that he's our father and we're his child and if we will approach him in that manner, he will allow everything in our world to work together for our good. For our good, even for Daniel, it was for the good. It ultimately, in the eschaton of time, proved to be good. We probably wouldn't have talked about Daniel at nearly the level at which we do had it not been for the fact that Daniel and that the nation of Israel was besieged by the nation of Babylon and overtaken. But it's because Daniel lived this life for God in hostile enemy territory and under a regime that was not God-centric, that was not Jehovah God-based, that, that did not acknowledge the God of the Bible, that we see how to live life. And it becomes an example to us that it would have never had become. That's just one of the aspects of how God took Daniel's life and used it for good. Daniel died a natural death. Daniel lived some of the greatest miracles in the Bible. Daniel, every single time, rose to prominence. He was blessed. He was prospered. Even, even in an, an ungodly nation and under a pagan regime, he was still blessed. God still opened doors. Why? Because his, his, his calling is without repentance. God doesn't change things just because life changes things. The calling on your life, the, the desires that he has for you to bless you and to prosper you, those things don't change. But the reality is, is that sometimes things work out differently than what we anticipated. And in those moments, we go, God, I don't understand. God, I need wisdom. I need understanding. God gives it. Daniel goes before God and says, look, here's my new job. I didn't ask for this. I didn't sign up for this. This is what I like. But they're going to kill me if I don't have the answer, God. So if you want me to die, to you be the glory. But if you want me to live to die another day, then I need, I need to know how to interpret this dream. And God gives it to him. That's exactly the same in our life. So how do you respond to seasonal change? What's some practical things that we learn from here? Because we don't control the seasons of life or the storms of life that can come and that we face during times of seasonal change, but we do control how we respond. So how do we respond? What's an appropriate response to seasonal changes in our life? Let me give you three things and I'm done. One is acknowledge God as my source. That's what Daniel did. He acknowledged God as his source. God, I'm here and I surrender everything to you and I acknowledge you as my source. It's not me. It doesn't come from the east or from the west. It's you, O oh, oh Lord, alone. That God is my source. And that's a question for you to ask yourself. Is God your source? Do you really trust him? Do you really believe the God of the Bible? More than just saving your rear end out of hell, do you really believe that he's here for the here and now, that he really wants to do good things and that he has a good plan and a good purpose? And that he, and do you really do you believe that? Well, I'm a, I'm a big believer that talk is cheap. I don't know if you are, but I, I like, I mean, look, none of us are perfect, so I'm not talking about perfection. But the Bible says that we should be people that pursue this, that we strive after, that we go after God and the things of God, and, and, that, and that we should do that. And when we fall down, that God will give us grace to get back up, and he'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we just ask. But that being said, do you really acknowledge God as your source? Not just on Sunday morning. But do you acknowledge him as your source? What about your work? How many people do I meet that go, oh, I'm a self-made man? Really? Really? The Bible says that God is the giver and the taker of life. The, God, the Bible is the one that says God is in control. So you better slow your roll. You better check yourself for your rickety, rickety wreck yourself. And, and think about that statement. I built this business from the ground up. So you're your source.
So when economic downturns come, that's why you quake and you shake because you're all worried because you think you, because you got to control it and you realize during those times you really have no control. It's like riding a BMX bicycle downhill with no brakes going, oh crud, this thing could go at any time. That's how life feels. And crud is found in the, in the NIV, just for some of you that didn't know that. Hezekiah 3.5. What about your talent? Is that all you too? Your ability to sell or your ability to teach or your ability to, 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 to make money, your ability, your strength to be able to trade your, your, your physical endurance for, for days for dollars, well, whatever it may be, your mind, your, your, your strength, your connections, is that all you too? What about your finances? You know, the easiest way to tell whether someone trusts God in America is just open your checkbook. Because the Bible is very clear on this subject. Old Testament, New Testament. You honor God with the first fruits. It's tithe. And you either believe that God will bless the 90% that you have greater than the 100% on your own, that with God, if you honor him with the first 10%, and then you take the other 90%, that you can live better on the 90% with God's blessing on the 10% than you could on the 100%. If you really believe the God of the Bible, then you'll see on a regular basis, it's not the last check that you write, it's the first check you write. It's not the last decision that you make, it's the first decision that you make. Because you trust him. It either works or it doesn't work. This is real simple. This isn't rocket science. It's not an IQ test. It either works or it doesn't work. And I'm telling you, when it comes to change in our life, sometimes God allows change because it shakes us to the core to go, do I really acknowledge God as my source or do I think I'm helping God out? Do I, do I acknowledge God on my spiritual side, but on my financial side or my work side, not so much? Do, do, do I acknowledge God relationally? But, 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 you know, when it comes to my marriage and my family, I'll take care of that God. No, he's either God over everything or none at all. And in, in American Christianity, in our consumer mindset, we like to have God kind of like, well, we have heated seats on a car. It's like an upgrade. Wow. You're going to throw in premium wheels? Awesome. A Bose sound system? Amazing. Heated seats? Sold. When the reality is, is that, is that God hasn't changed. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And the commandments are still in place. Jesus just fulfilled them all. So following him fulfills the commandments. But commandment number one, I'm the Lord your God, and I'll have no other gods, including yourself, or your job, or your money, or your relationship, or your kids, or whatever's driving you before me. And the reason why some of you deal with anxiety and stress and worry is because you're trying to help God out and you're trying to be the source if you, really get, if you really get to the bottom line of it. And I'm just telling you, I figured out a long time ago, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm not the smartest guy to walk the planet. I'm very simple. And I'm just going to lean so heavily on his word that if I were to move, if it were to move, I'd fall. God, you know better than I do. So here it is. Second thing is to surrender to his will and his way. Surrender. Give up. Wave the white flag. Both hands in the air. Wave them like you just don't care. However you want to say it. Yes, I know that song too. Um, the reality is, is do you surrender to his will and to his way? That means you've come to the end of yourself. Right? We sing that song. I surrender all, right? I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. But do we live it? 
Do we live it? Or is it just a great song that we sing on Sunday? Is it just something that makes you feel good and you just kind of feel good about yourself and you leave and go have fried chicken or meatloaf? Whatever it is you're having today, I'm at your house. <laughs> the surrender. You know who knows whether you really surrender to God or not? You. I don't know that. I can't tell that by the way that you walk or the way that you talk or what you, way that, the clothes that you wear or the car that you drive or the house that you live in. You. You know whether you've dropped your knee before God. You know whether you've come to the end of yourself. You know. But I'm telling you, that's where Daniel found his success is that he said, God, I'm not in control of these things and that you are. And I come to the end of me and I acknowledge that you are the beginning and the ending of all wisdom and all knowledge and all power. That you are Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and last, that which was and is to come and forevermore shall be. Surrender. And maybe you're here today and, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're at the West Campus and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Because the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that we shall be saved. That's why we call it salvation. Saved from what? Saved from ourselves, saved from our sins, saved from our past. He is our redemption. Jesus Christ paid the price. John 3, 16, for God so loved you and I that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Surrender. Laying it all down. And the last way to respond to seasonal change in your life is choose to live life for the audience of one. This will set you free right here. Choose to live life for the audience of one. Every day of my life, on a regular basis, I pray this prayer. Lord, I give you this day. I come to the end of myself. I take up my cross and I follow you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth for my life, for my family, for my home, as it is in heaven. Matthew 6.33 is my favorite verse of all time. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. We spend our lives running after all these things that should be added unto us. And we want to let the God, the God peace just happen. We like to invert that verse. We like to reverse it. We like to pursue all these things and then allow the God thing to kind of happen. And God says, no, 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 it's not the way it works. If you'll seek me first, then I'll allow all these other things in life. And I love how the Bible says all these things. It doesn't define what they are. Because it's different for everybody. The things that you're pursuing are different than maybe the person sitting next to you. But if you'll focus on Jesus and you'll seek him first, then all these other things in life will be added unto you. They'll come together. If you're trying to get your academics together because you're trying to pursue a career, if you'll seek first God, and I'm not saying that you don't work, okay? I'm not saying that you don't, don't misunderstand me. The angels are not going to wake you up in the morning, okay? If you don't clear your, your throat before 9 o'clock in the morning to get out of bed, you're a loser. I mean, it's just not going to work. I'm just saying. I mean, unless you work shift work, and you understand what I'm saying with that. I meet 20-somethings all the time that just want life to happen in a corner office with a, with a company car and, a, and, a, and an unlimited platinum American Express. It, that's not reality. The way to the master's chambers to the servant's quarters. But the reality is, is that, is that when you seek first God, when you put God first, he'll put these things together. He'll work these things out. In your career, he'll work them out. 
Do you understand that your job, that your vocation predates the fall of man, which means that God gave you a calling to do something with your life before sin ever, ever, ever entered into the world, which means the reason why that you want to work and that you feel good when you work and you feel bad when you don't have a job and, and you kind of identify with that is because that's a God-given gift to have dominion over this earth and all that dwells within it. That's a God-given thing. But if you pursue your career and you put it in the place of God, you invert it and you focus on all these things and you just let the God thing happen and the God thing's not going to happen. Some of you are single. And some of you think that's a horrible thing. And I'm telling you, there's something worse than being single. And that's wishing that you were. And the reality is, is that before you start pursuing that other person and looking for love in all the wrong places, right? Thank you, Urban Cowboy. And you start doing that, what you need to stop is, is realize that if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then that relationship, that, that God will give you the desires of your heart if you'll put him first. Some of you, you're looking for security, and it's all, it's all rooted really, really well. I mean, you, you, you want security in your life, and, and, and you want to be financially safe, and you want to take care of your family. But you're spending all of your energy trying to take care of these things instead of seeking him first and allowing him to open the doors and take care of things. And here's the, here's the secret to this. Jesus says that anybody who comes after me, that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Cast your cares upon me, Jesus says, because I'll take care of them. And so the reality is, is that when I live life focused on God first, I live life for the audience of one. And I allow God to take care of all these other things. I can't be with my kids 24-7. I, 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 I have a hard time taking care of me. I can't take care of my spouse 24-7. I can't do all these things. I can't make everybody happy. And, and so what I have to do is come to the end of myself and realize that I'm finite, that I'm limited, but God's not. And if I'll seek him first, and if I'll put him first, and if I'll focus on him first, he will take care of these other things. Listen, the Bible either works or it doesn't. It's either true or it's not. And if it's not, then what are we doing here? Let's just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we'll die. That's what the Romans said. No, 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 no. The Bible is yes and amen. God is not a man that he would lie. And that his ways are established way before us. And the reality is if we'll but trust him, he'll take care of all these things in our life. Live life for the audience of one. And when you live life that way, the burdens come off. The issues come off. Because I quit worrying about all these things. And every time the anxiety wants to attach itself to me, I go, God, that's one of all these things. Every time I worry about finances, God, that's all these things. Every time they situate, that's all these things. I get up and work. I work hard. I, 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 I don't believe in 40-hour work weeks. I think you should do more than that. I mean, I, I, I'm just raised that way. But the reality is, is I'm going to work as though it depends upon me. But I'm going to pray because I know that everything in my life depends upon God. That I can spend my entire life amassing everything. And at the end of the day, I can have barns and bigger barns, but my soul can be required of me. One night, it's gone. That's it. Or I can just trust in him and lean not to my own understanding. Because changes of life are going to happen. But the question is, will I trust him through those seasonal changes? That's the question. Change is going to happen, but how are you going to navigate it? Are you going to trust God or are you going to go with yourself? 